Good evening. I'm Corey Morgan. Welcome to The Pipeline. This is the Western Standards Weekly news panel show where we kind of share our opinions, dissect some of the issues, and uh, come up with all those solutions that you weren't able to come up with on your own. So thank you for joining us tonight. Before I get to who we've got on the panel this week, uh, I do have to mention our sponsor. Of course, the reason we could do this is because of fantastic subscribers like you. I know you've subscribed. And uh, as well, these sponsors, the Canadian Shooting Sports Association. They've been sponsoring us for a long time, and they're a fantastic group. If you own firearms, you plan on owning firearms, you support the right of others to own firearms, you got to be a member of these guys. They stand up for your rights. You've got a, a government that really wants to take away your ability to enjoy firearms. And if you don't, you're going to lose that right. So check them out, guys. they got all sorts of other resources there, too, like any other association would, whether it's to sporting events and things such as that. Canadian Shooting Sports Association, their website is cssa-cila.org or just Google them, check them out, take out a membership. It's well worth it. It's an investment in yourself. All right, let's get on to who our panelists are today. I, I neglected in properly introducing you guys last week, so I won't be so uh, uh, rude today. I'll, I'll start with Nigel, though. Our opinion editor, Nigel Hannaford, is, is at the end of the table uh, this evening. Thanks for coming in to talk to us. This uh, it's always a pleasure. I'm at the end of the table because damned energy reporters scoop my seat. Yes, well, it's yeah. a first come, first serve. You know, yeah, we're we're merit based around here. Here's well, normally, I've got Dave on this. Side, so. right. And in the middle, stealing Nigel's <laughs> typical spot. Well, we are graced by the appearance of our energy and business writer, reporter Sean Polzer. Welcome into the studio, rather than coming in remotely for a change. Thank you. All right. So we've got lots to, to cover, as always. We've only got three subjects we're really going to hit, but they've got a lot within them. I guess we'll start uh, with, with you, Sean. I mean, we saw the story in the Western Standard, and, and it's up there, westernstandard.news. Uh, Trudeau's not following up on his deal with Jagmeet Singh. Like, what have we got going on here? That's a very interesting uh, conundrum, I, I would think, because... Uh, on the one hand, you have the prime minister is not following the deal, and then on the other hand, you have uh, the NDP leader that's not pulling the pin on the deal, and uh, seems to be kind of going along with it. Um, so we kind of had this discussion in the morning meeting uh, that uh, what would it take to uh, bring down the government and uh, trigger off an early election? And uh, I think the consensus was uh, a leadership crisis, wouldn't it? Uh, well, that's certainly one aspect of it. I mean, just for background here, for people who don't follow this stuff quite as closely as we do, at the end of the at the 2021 election, the Liberals, led by Mr. Trudeau, came out with less than a majority. It uh, was 338 seats in the House. We had 160. So they could have carried on as a minority. I mean, Harper governed with less. But they did this deal with the NDP for the sake of assurance and comfort. And the NDP had 25 seats. So the 160 plus the 25, now they've got a comfortable operating majority. But the deal was, the deal was that by December the 31st of this year, there would be legislation for pharmacare. That's what the NDP said was, the, was, was their position. Singh didn't ask for, or he certainly didn't get, a position in cabinet, which a lot of his members said, well, if you're going to make a what's effectively a coalition with the, uh, with the Liberals, then you should at least be in the cabinet. But no, they didn't get that. But they said there would be this. 
that there would be a pharmacare deal. Well, it's not here. Parliament wraps up at the end of next week, and there is no time in the 11 days for them to get that done. The thing is, though, I don't think the Liberals can ever have really meant to get it done because they have had control of the parliamentary calendar ever since the election. So it's more than two years. If this, if they meant to keep that deal, they would have got it on the table. They would have got it into the House. They would have got it through the free reading, Senate approval, and royal assent, like a number of other things that they have done. But they didn't do it. So my suspicion is that they never meant to do it. But they were glad to have two years of peace, of reasonable assurance, to get them through. And... Uh, or two years, yeah, two, for two years. So what strikes me as strange is how little fuss the NDP seemed to be making about it. I mean, I would have expected that they'd been screwed, so they would be complaining about it. They'd be angry press conferences condemning the, you know, how untrustworthy the liberals were. It's like I said in my... Like my column on, uh, on, on this matter, which published about an hour ago, usually if you do a deal with the devil, the devil pays up front. I mean, it all, it's, it all works out terribly for you later, but meanwhile, you do it. They didn't even get that. So they have been totally hosed. They know it, but they're not complaining about it. So what's going down? I, I suspect that Mr. Singh now that his support cannot be taken for granted, will exact a higher price for his support if he decides to give it in the weeks going forward. So we have now entered a period of great uncertainty. How far will the Liberals be able to go? How far will Mr. Singh back them? Now you would also say, well, the other question here is, Mr. Trudeau was depending on this deal to keep his government afloat. He just sort of let it dribble away. Why would he do that? Well, maybe he actually has decided that his leadership is so weak. And this is the point that you were coming to here with the discussion we had this morning. His position is so weak that he's actually got a better chance of staying on as prime minister if he goes to an election... He may not win, but he might. Whereas if he does nothing, they'll have him out of there before Easter. The support within the Liberal Party for Mr. Trudeau right now is very, very low. And I think that he's uh, vulnerable to a coup. This a possible election is his easiest and best chance of staying on for a little longer. Well, I think the person who has the most to lose... Um if the deal falls apart, is actually uh, Jagmeet Singh because he's, he's <coughs> in the driver's seat right now. He's uh, got a lot of influence within the Liberal government, and as long as he props it up, then he nope. gets to be the de facto de deputy prime minister. If, if he lets it slide nope. and the Liberals lose, I don't, I, I don't agree with you. I mean, they've taken him for granted for two years. Doesn't matter what he wants. He wanted this, he didn't get it. Now, if uh, it doesn't suit Mr. Trudeau to be brought down on any given day in January or February, they may actually have to listen to what Jagmeet Singh wants. He's in a better position now than he's been for quite a while because he, he's not bound. Up until now, he's been bound. 
The silence has been deafening, though. I mean, yep. perhaps he's been complicit. I mean, we, he he knew this bill isn't forthcoming. Why didn't he speak up a month ago, two months ago, yep. when you were drafted sure. or even draft a private member's bill from the NDP and say, here, and if you guys don't support it, then our deal is off. Yep. I, I, I don't know about him being screwed so much as just being over a barrel. That could be. Um, the other thought that struck me, kind of on the other hand of the is that if an election were held today, then there's a pretty good chance that he would become leader of the opposition. Mr. Singh. Yes. And so the I guess the question is, is does he want to be in a supply and confidence arrangement with uh, a minority government or does he actually want to be the opposition leader? I don't know if it suits his what suits his purposes more. Maybe it might help his pride a little more to be the the leader of the opposition. He can move into Stornoway, redecorate with Versace <laughs> and, and uh, uh, whatever other, you know, the, uh, designer items he wants to add to his opulent tastes. They're not tearing uh, down Starnaway, are they? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, but these are things you'll have to think about in the next little, because he seemed to have been celebratory when, with minor, relatively minor wins, you know, uh, they, they brought in legislation banning replacement workers for uh, federally regulated industries if they're unionized in strikes. I, I mean, I, I'm not thrilled with that development either, but he crowed that that was part of his concession <laughs> he got from Justin Trudeau. Well, that, that, that wasn't the, the keystone to his deal. The PharmaCare deal was uh -huh. uh, such. Well, I wouldn't be at all surprised if, if there is an election within the next six months that the Liberals grab PharmaCare and make that one of their key planks. They've done it before. Well, that would be quite an irony that, you know, you, you, you break your deal, you go to the polls... Uh, because you didn't table a pharmacare bill, and then when you're at the polls, you put out as a campaign promise uh, pharmacare pharmacare bill. I well, guess they've I mean, done it before. Well, nothing surprises <laughs> anymore. The that, that's yeah. the, the, but boy, what a bizarre you know turn of events. But everything has been nothing but one bizarre turn of events after another. Uh -huh. So uh, boy, we'd have some fun shows going over that if that's the case. <laughs> Um, Versace. Uh, yeah. Well, a lot of it is 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 wondering what does Jagmeet Singh want? He he's that that variable in there. You know, he's as close to power as he'll ever be. Uh, he knows that, and uh, you know, being a, a kingmaker in a sense in a minority government, I don't think, to be honest, that's my opinion. Is the interests of he's not the ideological NDP type that others put him out to be. He's a champagne socialist. That's why we make fun of him with his Rolex and his Versace and, and his other such things. It's points of pride with him. So which scenario would feed his pride better? Uh, leader of the opposition or or being Trudeau's second, uh, you know, lieutenant in the government, I guess he is. I, I can't imagine that for the past two years he's had much that he feels very proud of. Maybe he mentioned a couple of things there, but, you know... Like, where's the suspense? Where's the drama? You know, that he's going to back the government, so the government does what it wants to do. And it's all been on the basis of this promise that it would appear was never meant to be kept. Well, and at some point, if uh, the Liberals, the fate of the Liberals keeps on going down, you'd have to think that it's going to drag down the NDP. Like, there must be some point where he starts to wonder about maybe it's just better to cut this guy loose as a credibility. Sure. Oh, I, I'm, there certainly is. But I mean, this was how the thing, this is how the uh, Conservatives won their 2011 election. You know, the, the election that gave them the majority is when the, the left-wing vote were, went so far to the NDP. You remember the orange wave mm -hmm. and that sweep through Quebec and, you know, people who just allowed their names to sit on an election ballot for the sake of 
you know, party. Yeah, the, the, the one woman won. She didn't even speak French, and she took a Quebec seat. Well, yeah. that's right. She was, and she was down there playing the slots in Las Vegas, and got this phone call. You've just been elected, and they but <laughs> what? No, you're kidding me. You know, and, but it was true. She was, and um, she was. She wasn't the worst of the NDP, NDP uh, yeah. MPs either. So it's, uh, it, but that's when the left wing vote splits. If it all goes to the liberals, it'll never all go to the NDP. But the Liberals really grabbed that vote back in 2015 from the NDP. And then they were able to form their own majority government. But they've been losing it. Every election since 2019, 2021, the Liberal vote has been going down. They've lost probably about a million votes from the six and a half million that they started with in 2015. I think in 2021, they were down to around five point something. It was uh, it was really a sad show. The NDP, meanwhile, has been holding steady and the Conservative vote has been coming up. So I think we're now ready to just 10 years, eight, well, it's eight years, but you know, it's getting to that. So there's got to be pressure coming from within the NDP too, though. I mean, they're, again, they're, they're hardcore supporters. Their stalwarts are very ideologically driven. They, they joined the federal NDP on principle, knowing that the odds of their party ever forming a majority power structure are very slim. They want to win on their points of principle, get their things done. And they're not like conservatives. When conservatives are upset with our leaders, we know because they're screaming it on every rooftop and, and every corner yeah. and, and cutting it down. You know, left-wing parties, they still have discontent, but they keep it internalized. There's got to be some that are saying to Jagmeet, that's enough pragmatism. We've got to start making a stand. You know, there's got to be closed-door pressure coming upon him think maybe that's mm -hmm. going to swing him to start making solid demands. Like, okay, pharmacare now. That's it. That was the deal. Yeah. yeah. You know, there's one thing I, I obviously, ideologically, I got very little uh, support for any NDP ideas, but I do admire this thing about the average NDP supporter. They're prepared to reach into their pocket and give their own money to the party. It was very evident before the Chrétien reforms 20 years ago, which gave us this per vote uh, uh, per capita uh, grant from the government, none of us like. But back in those days, you know, the, the Conservatives and the NDP would both have large mailing lists who all sent small amounts. The Liberals used to just meet somebody at the restaurant in, uh, on Somerset uh, Avenue there in Ottawa. What was it, Mama Teresa's? You know, they'd walk in. There was a little back room. I took my wife there one day just to just to show her, just to give her the sense of it, you know. And the waiter said, "Well, you know, you can we can put you there. This is where the money changed hands." You know, so they walk in. The envelope goes across the table, twenty thousand dollars in it from a big law firm or a, or a major company, and that's how the liberals used to raise money. Uh, it was so not the People's Party. The NDP supporters. They would reach into their pockets, just like the conservative supporters would, and there'd be five dollars here and twenty dollars there and a hundred dollars here. That's a big one. They actually believed in in their own BS enough to put their own money behind They're populists. It. They were populists. Right. You gotta you gotta respect that, and I think that's still the way. When you see the reporting numbers coming out of who's who's getting what. The NDP is very well funded by its own supporters. For a small party, they get a lot of money. Well, I remember the Reform Party being at a rally in Edmonton and uh, 
was like the collection plate at church. They were passing out, you know, boxes, oh, right? And they were the going KFC bucket. Yeah, it was the KFC bucket, you know. If there wasn't enough in it, they went around again, you know. The Lord is not that. satisfied. You know? <laughs> the old Wild, Wild Rose party ones, we passed the cowboy hat. Quite yeah, too, cowboy yeah. But I mean, it, it was a, a big, but that's part of when you're up and coming too. That's part of when you're in opposition. Once you get in power, it's not even as if you have to solicit the big donors. They're going to knock on your door and they're going to say, you know, we'd, we'd really like to buy a little love. They, they might not put it that way, but we know you don't donate to a party unless you're expecting some degree of policy to reflect your values. So all of this is to the point that the NDP supporters, mm. the, the the true believers down there, are going to be wanting more from Mr. Singh than this. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's kind of what I was saying. Yeah, they, they've got to be getting a little tired of it, too. Yeah. I mean, at one point, they want to, they'd rather die on a hill of principle, I think, than, than sell their soul to try and get a little more power in the Ottawa. But they also have nowhere to go. I mean, <laughs> NDP supports typically around well, 20%. Could go green. It goes up or down. They could go to the Green Party. Yeah, I, I could see an NDP member saying, you know, look, Jagme, get this concession or we go to the polls. I'm willing to lose our deal <coughs> than give up on what this whole agreement was about two years ago. There's mm -hmm. got to be some of them saying that. Well, the deal's done. I mean, yeah. it's, it's not been, they haven't kept it. So yeah. I guess we'll find out. Eh? Yeah. Yeah. 31st. If yeah. there's an early election, it's, I mean, it's a desperate hope for Trudeau. I, I mean, things are looking pretty bleak for him right now, but boy, I, I just can't imagine diving into a general election. I mean, things change, you know, an election period, it's amazing how much can change, but he is in the toilet. I mean, they, those numbers are, are staggeringly low. Dark mm -hmm. yeah. uh, night of the soul. Yes, we're in for an interesting year. As always. Well, let's get a little more into another battle. It's federal, provincial, and uh, Daniel Smith. I mean, that was her, her main platform point in the leadership, and it was her first policy, I believe, is, is becoming premier is the Sovereignty Act, and, and she has now invoked it. Yeah. Um, what does that mean? That's a really good question. That's, what exactly does it mean? I'm still um, trying to sort it out myself, to be honest. That's it was funny because she got the question at uh, the press conference. Um, from a reporter up in Edmonton, I couldn't see him because I could just hear him. But it was kind of to the effect of like, uh, "Are you are you doing this for show, just to draw attention to yourself?" And she's, oh, "Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what we're doing." You know, like um, there's a, there's not. She know, wasn't quite so blase. <laughs> oh, she was. Like, well, no, yeah, well, she said, right? she said, no, I want no, the courts to understand. Uh, I, I want the courts to understand yeah. what we are about here when this comes before the courts. This is the reasoning that we're going to give." No, he said, like, what are you trying to do? Draw attention to it? She goes, yeah. You know, well, well, like, unabashed about it. Part, um, part of the point from that reporter, which I think was kind of valid, he asked, what is this empowering you to do that you didn't already have the ability to do? And I'm not seeing anything. I mean, I'm seeing that the, it could be a useful act. I'm not dismissing the whole thing, but nothing new really is coming up. It's just kind of perhaps packing it together into a, uh, a bill that can help take things to the federal government or to the courts in one package rather than a few different efforts. But well, I think the idea is to get the federal government to go to the court, and uh, they've already said that they're not going to do it, so they're, they're just going to ignore it. So, um, I don't, I don't know what that means. I, I don't know if the, you know, if they're going to try and claim that it's against the law to resist these regulations, which haven't really come into effect yet, and weren't really supposed to come into effect until next spring sometime, and they're still negotiating and. You've got these ongoing negotiations, and now you've got this uh, <coughs> COP28 summit happening in Dubai, you know, where there's going to be a big head-to-head. Uh, -head. It's it's not just a bowl that's going. It's uh, uh, Francois-Philippe Champagne is going. 
uh, there's a whole liberal delegation and uh, there's going to be a lot of face-to-face uh, -face meetings. And uh, Premier Smith has been making announcements like every day this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. She's actually had a hell of a communication strategy, much, much better than uh, the, the, the Ottawa communications strategy. I mean, all you get is a sort of sour, dour face saying, you know, we're going to insist on our electricity regulations. You're probably better able to reel off the announcements than I am because it's your beat. But uh, what, what have we had here? We've had the we've methane Sunset. targets. Methane targets, carbon capture storage, 8.8 .8 billion so-called clean plastic cracker. Going to make uh, clean plastic straws. You know, <laughs> those are the kind to have, all right? Yeah, none of this paper crap. <laughs> well, it, it has been interesting, though. I mean, something I, I've noticed recently. I was thinking of writing, and I hadn't got around to it. But it's felt this last two months almost as if we're in an election because the communications from the UCP have been like that. They're driving the discussion. It's every week, here's the conference, here's the change we're making, here's what we're doing. The next mm -hmm. week, here's another conference, whether it's addictions treatment or it's energy or it's the Sovereignty Act, but there's always something coming up. And, and uh, I think it's been effective. You know, former Premier Notley is always on her heels and reacting. Mm -hmm. uh, and the Liberals are, are kind of flat-footed too. Like, how do you deal with this? And it's, it's, they're driving well, the agenda. I guess that's my point. Actually, is that as she goes off with the, the Alberta crew to COP28, I don't know how much of the rest of the world cares about what we do in Canada, but if they do, they have, on the one hand, this, this uh, we'll just say that the federal government does not have a very interesting, imposing, or attractive appearance. On the other hand, you have got the charismatic Let's face it, she is charismatic. I mean, you can agree with her or disagree with her, but she's not, a, she's not somebody who you can ignore. So there she'll be in COP28. She's camera fodder for the international crew, and she's having a fight with her own government. And as she has the fight, she has got all of these things that we just discussed stacked up behind her, all the good, promising, progressive, we're really trying to get to the, do the right thing here, all of these announcements, and they don't, and uh, it your your uh, it may or may not work, but nobody can say that they didn't try, and that the communications people in the premier's office didn't uh, provide good advice and get it together when they had their marching orders. This has been very well done. She's um, in complete control of the agenda. Yep. She's driving the agenda. She's. Um, coming at it within this framework of uh, reducing emissions. We're not reducing oil production, we're reducing emissions. Um, she spoke at uh, an industry uh, luncheon on Friday, and even there, uh, you know, um, the hosts are already describing her as a transformational leader, you know, like a once in a generation kind of person that's come along. She's done her homework, she's completely up on the issues, she's on the files, she understands it, she knows the people, she's on the ground. And uh, I think it was our friend Tristan over at uh, EPAC, he made a comment there that it's actually quite surprising that she's managed to get all you know, her horses. Well, he is only surprised because he didn't know her before. Oh, really? But he said you know, he if was you've ever seen it, she's done it so fast. Yeah, but remember what she was like on the radio? Remember mm -hmm. what she was like in the, on the Herald editorial board? 
she had a grasp for detail and then being able to give it back to you in a form that you could receive it that uh, just left uh, hostile interviews kind of flat-footed and wishing they hadn't come. Uh, and she was also polite about it. Well, yeah, she maintains composure. Yeah. That's something she's always she's a little different than, say, Polly Evan that says, Polly maintains composure, but he'll kind of start slapping back. Uh, Premier Smith, well, in between so bites, you know? she'll just yeah. stick to her messaging, though, yeah. and just shake off. Because uh, she's got a very harsh establishment pushing back on her and, and, and it's been controlling the message. Uh, for example, you know, uh, Notley and Deborah Yellen were hand in hand saying that uh, Daniel Smith is going to drive investment out of Alberta. Well, our population's increasing. We have the highest GDP growth in the country. And now she's just announced an $820 billion project that's going to fire up. They sort of look deflated after that. But they can't, we can't get credit for anything either. I, I see when they announced the carbon capture project, the first thing the CBC put out as I torture myself in reading their headlines, they found a handful of people who were opposed to carbon capture and feel it might damage the environment. So no matter what Alberta does, the state broadcaster is going to say we're bad. Um, it's, it's time to stop pandering. To well, and she's managed to stay on message. I mean, they, you know, the knock on Premier Smith used to be the, you know, the moonwalk, you know, when she was going to go kind of stray off topic. When she starts, yeah, or she would even use the term blue sky. She no, gets I'm very just, granular. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. But, you know, she's managed to keep it tight and focused and, and straight to the point. Well, she's reined that in. She's, she's transformed from the talk show host to a premier. And, you know, she she stepped in it a few times when, when treating, I think, you know, in her early part of her leadership, treating it as if she was still a talk show host. Well, I can speculate or I can talk right. about or I could put out hypotheticals. No, you can't do that anymore. People are watching your every word and interpreting it, and you don't see that anymore. I, I, I compare that period of her leadership to somebody who has only ever driven automatic now having to learn to drive a standard. <laughs> but the point is she's got yeah. the hang of it now. Oh, yeah, she's and, certainly bright enough to, well, to talk about somebody who's been able to transform herself. I mean, yes. from, uh, you know, media member to short-term uh, school board member to opposition leader to catastrophic bad choices exactly. in opposition leader to radio yeah. host to premier. I mean, it's, there's going to be a, a profound biography written. I hope I live long enough to see it, you know, to document her path. Uh, and, and she's still young. You'll be writing it. Maybe. I mean, so, so yeah. Daniel and I are both 52. We're in that class of 71. So is Trudeau, for that matter. Uh, something strange happened that year, I guess. But uh, uh, and she's managed to grow into the role as well. Like, um, well, that's what I mean, she'll change. That's that's something different than a lot of people. But coming back to your point about why why she was asked, yes, why did you need to make this announcement when you could do everything you've talked about? But I think that was part of the communication strategy, which was to say this. The line has always been there, but this, you know, people walk across it and the sand gets kicked around. Nobody really knows where it is. Well, here it is today. Right. This is what we're going to do. And we are going to indemnify the people who run the generating uh, stations so that the, the federal government cannot come after them. And somebody said to her, well, what, what, is, what do you mean by that exactly? Well, I, I gather, and I didn't know this until this week, but the, the chief of public health, in Alberta, probably every other government is actually indemnified. They cannot right. be pros prosecuted. If they give good advice, great. If they give bad advice, they, we have no recourse. Mm. They did their best, we assume, and it wasn't good enough. But they can't be prosecuted. Well, 
Now she's putting the, the people, the, the executives, and possibly the board members of the generating companies, it depends how far this goes. They will not be prosecuted if they are generating power and the conditions of the clean energy regulations are not met. Well, I think that's one of the reasons for wanting to set up uh, a Crown Corp uh, power company so that the people that are on that board, presumably including her, if she's president and CEO, are indemnified because... Um, well, that's part of it, but if they also want the Crown Corporation to provide backup power. If all the rest of the guys can't meet it, I mean... Well, she's being prosecuted. If she, if she said... We want to be a generator of last resort. She said, she said it once. She said it twelve times in that press conference. That they will only set that organization up if they feel that the imbalance between interruptible sources, solar and wind, and natural gas generation is so badly off that they can't guarantee they'll keep the. The, the lights on and the heat on and the in under the worst conditions and that could be that could also be summer air conditioning as well as winter sure. so you know if it looks as if things are not well catered to then they have given themselves that that that, that position they can put a, a plant together and i think these things can be done relatively uh, relatively quickly because yeah, at least we know what we're doing yeah I, I think it's also a compromise on the uh, moratorium on the renewables because um, or a big sticking point on on you know this most of this renewable stuff there you know the private deals on private land and you know they have to have tie-ins to get it to the greater and so she <coughs> she said you can't have all this renewable energy come on without the baseload backup so I think by in essence saying well we will provide the baseload backup to allow these to go forward that that might be a way out of that as yeah, well i still sweat a little when i hear any talk of more crown corporations of any government getting into the business oh, yeah. of being in business i've been in alberta a long time where we spent a lot of time getting out of that <laughs> i mean premier smith has a you know a tattoo of a, a libertarian symbol on her arm uh, you know we're of like mind on a lot uh -huh. of things uh and to hear her speak of i mean boy that better be a really true last 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 resort i mean it took us 10 years to get out of liquor stores for crying out loud uh, yeah, but you know, you live down in Prittis. You could be the guy that she's trying to keep alive, okay? You know, when the power goes and the lights start to flicker and the... Ironically, we'll be safer. Uh, the generator, uh, the wood stove, the hunting ability, and the game uh, in the backyard. <laughs> it's the person in the apartment building in Calgary who's got a sweat. And, and it's a real concern, though. We start getting blackouts uh, during 35-degree weather in summer. Uh, people with, with health conditions without air conditioning can end up actually in a very dangerous circumstance. Or if we get a blackout and it's minus 35, which is again, very conceivable in Alberta, the same thing. Some people are at some very terrible risk. Uh, the, the, you know, when the, there was some of that discussion when she said it's a life and death thing, it really is literally so. I mean, our power is important to us. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people realize just how close we have come on a number, number of occasions to I mean, normally when the, when things get tight, they, they have the ability to buy in from BC. But if that ability is not, you know, if BC can't sell when you really want it, and when you really want it is going to be when they really want it too, then we've got a problem. Well, here's a story out of Europe yesterday that kind of ties into this. You know, Germany was always held up as the, the king of the renewable countries. They invested so much in solar and wind and every other renewable you could think of, you know, 
and it bit them in the butt badly and still is. They have just now, their residential grid operators will be empowered to restrict the flow of power to heat pumps and electric vehicle chargers in 2024 because they're draining the grid too much. They don't have the capacity to power these things. These are the two things in Canada they're saying we must have and Germany can't keep up. They're saying depower those things because we got higher priority things we have to maintain right now. Mm -hmm. we, we just seem to refuse to learn the lesson from the people who walked before us, well, at least outside of Alberta we did. Light some heat. Yep. Yeah, well, I mean, and that is a, coming back to COP28, basically that's where the federal government is and it is Alberta that is coming forward with the ideas and the actions that address the situation. Well, that's, that's it. And it needs to be yeah. communicated to people because sometimes they don't think about it. They say, it doesn't make sense. Alberta's short of power, yet you went and put a moratorium on all these new projects. Well, yes, but these are crap projects. This is what Germany already did, and it failed. It led to energy instability, insecurity, expensive and, and problematic. Uh, we need you know, realistic generation ability, not just this kind of If you're, crap. you know, if you're worried that you're not going to have power because the wind doesn't blow, you're not actually, there's not more windmills that you need, is it? No. Yeah. Well, and I, I'm not sure if it was uh, Premier Smith uh, at a meeting. It was some, one of these factoids that come out and stick out. And it was uh, the other day when the wind stopped blowing and it was dark at night, you know, the whole uh, renewable fleet in Alberta here was providing like less than, half a percent of the total power uh, output of the province, you know, because the wind stopped, mm -hmm. the wind stopped when it, on that colder night yeah. uh, a couple the weeks ago. The sun's not shining, so sun's not shining. we're back to gas. And again, we don't have a St. Lawrence River. We don't have, you know, the, these Nukes. easy ability to add renewable or emissions-free types of power sources. We have natural gas, and we have a lot of it. We would be fools not to burn it for uh, our, our needs and... That's what we're doing. It looks right. like Premier Smith knows this. Let's just hope he actually remembers it. Well, even if we have to abate it, I mean. You know, the other thing that made me, I just smile a bit, it didn't make me laugh, but it made me smile. Uh, she sort of threw a little olive branch in the direction of Minister Wilkinson, the um, uh, Enercam, Energy and Natural Resources Canada. Uh, the Smith government is big on hydrogen. <laughs> and she said, oh, you know, Wilkinson's not so bad. He drives a hydrogen-powered car. This I did not know, but obviously um, Mr. Wilkinson has decided to give it a try, put his money where his mouth was, and he got a he got a golden atom boy from Premier Smith. So it's just I asked him about it when did he you? Was, yeah when what he was here. Say? I like the subtle jabs. <laughs> he says, "I said, how does the car perform? You know, how does it come off the line?" And he goes, "Oh yeah, it's it's pretty zippy." But uh, he's also down in uh, Vancouver as well, and it seems to me that they're using hydrogen. They're looking at it for the ferries, and you know, there's some other applications there that are happening in British Columbia as well, mm -hmm. with the ships and with the marine traffic. So uh, he's probably not that far away from a filling station. Well, that's what it's going to take, of course, if it's going to, if the idea is going to go anywhere. Yeah. We'll see where it goes. It's going to take a while. Well, let's just get to the granddaddy of environmental <laughs> gatherings and uh, energy burning and hypocrisy, and that's COP28. Uh, Sean, what do we got going on this year? Oh, I had fun with this story this morning. Yeah, I, I ripped a little into them in my monologue today as well. A private jet concierge, complete with uh, bodyguards and security and VIP shuttles and from uh, the airport to the hotels and catered vegan meals and uh, we've got King Charles III uh, and we know, I know, I know you're a monarchist, <laughs> so, but we also know that Charles is very, 
you know, he's, he's taken a, a fondness for <laughs> environmental causes, and uh, Bill Gates is going to be there, and uh, John Kerry, and uh, Al Gore, oh, yeah. and uh -huh. who's who. St. Greta is going to be there. I don't think she's going to be flying in on a private jet. I don't think she takes private jets. We'll see. <laughs> she's not flying coach. <laughs> Probably not. I don't. I don't think she can anymore. <laughs> And no. there's no sailboats. Yeah, and I, I don't think King Charles will be using the concierge either. That'll be... <laughs> He's got uh, the MI6. Well, it'll be something from the King's flight. I, I don't know what they'll use, but it's obviously going to be a fairly substantial aircraft. But I, he will... He, he will come in a, in a royal plane. <laughs> in style. <laughs> Aside from the usual international, you know luminaries and such that we expect and anticipate to show up in the politicians and environmental leaders and literal royalty. 70,000 people. How many people do we need to stuff into one city to navel gaze for two weeks and tell us how to tighten our belts? Well, it's almost doubled over the past uh, three. So they have these conferences every year. Um, and the reason uh, Minister Jabot is taking such a prominent role because he was handed off at COP27, some kind of a ceremonial role, similar to the one that he had with the Chinese Communist Party to uh, <laughs> organize it and get it all together. You should probably uh, enlarge on that slightly. Not everybody knows about his association with the Chinese Communist Party. Well, apparently it was some kind of a ceremonial role to help them advise on their own emissions but it's uh, it was pretty tough you know it's pretty top down right yeah. let's face it this yeah. is, these are not grassroots uh, rallies or organizations they are you know dominated by elite it's uh, just an odd position for an elected official in canada to hold well, yes not and, anymore and now that uh, so word has come out as well because um the head come country dubai the, the guy who's the host is also the head of the state oil company there and uh, they're looking to do deals like literally tens of thousands of deals oh, yeah. oil and gas deals fossil fuel deals with countries including canada including canada it's almost like an opec conference i mean it's gonna be some of the same guys getting together but just the, the staggering hypocrisy are people ready to start seeing through this yet i had to pull up this tweet i just laugh my head off at it there's sapora berman you know uh the the, the environmental oh, yeah. crusader yeah. Throws out this tweet yesterday. Got into Dubai late last night. Opened my curtains in my hotel this morning to find what I now know is the largest single-site natural gas power generation facility in the world. Fitting, I'm going to have to stare at this through the haze of pollution for two weeks. You flew there. You, 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 you went to an energy capital, a desert country that you knew was nothing... And then you're just going to whine about the view out of your luxury apartment for the next two weeks? Oh, well, I feel terribly for you. This by the way, if you've got air conditioning, and I'm sure you do, madam, you know, if you didn't, you'd be able to fry an egg on the on the patio without a frying pan. So be grateful for that. She envisioned slaves with Paul Franz, and I'm sorry, but I, I, I'm just segueing into some of the labor practices of Dubai. They aren't exactly sweethearts with human rights no, they and labor. And, and any of that, there's the other realm of hypocrisy. You're going to one of the nastiest nations on earth and, and pouring money and legitimacy into this government that still has floggings and stonings. Uh, you know, I don't know if Dubai has the floggings and stonings. I, I looked it up. For Saudi Arabia they do, actually, definitely. in Dubai. The, the, the odd thing is they rarely do capital punishment in Dubai, but they have floggings, stonings, and Sharia law entrenched in their courts, and they'll make you wish you were dead. Uh, 
But they I, do have. I, th- I think the difference between Saudi and Dubai is that so Sharia law only applies to Muslims in, in Dubai. But anyway, that's yeah. regardless. Either way, they, 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 they but I've been to the Middle East. They are in a democratic country that respects human rights. And you wouldn't have fresh food without refrigeration. No. You wouldn't have water without desalination. You definitely would not be able to exist for nine months of the year outside, you know, um, without air conditioning. Like, you can barely go for a walk on a nice evening unless it's like in the middle of December. Yeah. So, I mean, if these guys are going to virtue signal, I would just, you know, particularly as progressive bunches, you would think they would say, well, you know, like Glasgow, okay, there, it's a, uh, a democratic country. And, and, you know, that was last year's gathering spot, I believe. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, there's not huge, tremendous human rights abuses or, or such conspicuous consumption of fossil fuels. But they went right into the heart of it this time around, and apparently it's not an issue with or 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 you could be like Zabora and actually I mean, was that Sharm El Sheikh last year? Yeah, it was. It was Egypt yeah. last year. It was oh, an Egypt. Sorry, okay. Yeah, yeah, it was Egypt. Track of these twenty-six. Yeah, yeah. And the, and the labor practices too. Like it's it's almost all foreign imported labor yeah. because the locals the locals don't work. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so they bring in they import all the labor and and they're denied basic. Uh, you know, rights like citizenship rights or treated terribly, uh, or, and they've been well, I don't chased know, they're, they're paid well, but well, compared to where they're coming from, they're taking advantage of people coming from some pretty rough spots. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, when, when you're coming from the depths of Sri Lanka or something, then yeah, housekeeping stuff, yeah, yeah. Your, your job might seem a little better when you get over there. Jeepers, Corey, I think you're just mad that you didn't get to go. <laughs> <laughs> if I got. Someone paying my bills to go live in opulence for two weeks. I'm going to do it, but I'm not going to be a hypocrite about it. <laughs> I would look out the window and say, look at this magnificence of utilizing the fruits of the earth to keep me cool when it's 40 it's degrees a, outside. I do believe it's the largest one of its kind in the world. Yes. Well, they turned down my immediate accreditation. <laughs> I don't so think Derek's been uh, sponsoring us to go uh, so far, but uh, I, I won't turn it away. But the other part, and I asked about too, how are they really getting much accomplished when you've got 70,000 people there? I mean, there's going to be some of the high-level dignitaries will have private meetings and cut some deals. Ironically, as you said, probably oil companies and things such as that. But are they really going to come up with decent environmental policies or any significance that they couldn't have done outside of this gathering? Well, apparently a couple of the issues are um, third world financing. So... uh, I think Indonesia just signed a $60 billion deal, and I think it was uh, Madagascar, another $80 billion to electrify their, their grids. But what they're forcing these developing countries to do is to go massively into debt. Um, one of the things that um, John Kerry is apparently pushing for is a reparations fund that's going to uh, redistribute uh, money. Uh, the UN wants... They're, they're estimating it's going to cost about $122 trillion to uh, revamp the electrical systems around the world. And the biggest chunk of the bill is going to be in these countries that can barely afford to even turn the lights on now. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, the leadership in Dubai probably isn't going to be switching their power sources anytime probably soon. Probably not. No, I would imagine. <laughs> well, they nosh on uh, catered vegan meals. Vegetarian and vegan. Over 50% of the meals are going to be vegan and vegetarian. Certified, recyclable packaging. Yeah, and imported by plane and refrigerated. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, again, we're, as I've said, I, I didn't crunch the numbers, but I figured they probably these 70,000 delegates will consume more resources in, in every kind and sort over the next two weeks than some small countries do as a whole. Uh, you know, it's just... 
overwhelming hypocrisy. It just drives me bananas. Well, how many people live in Red Deer? We were trying to. Yeah, yeah we never did look up. Well, I mean, it's got to be pretty close to about 70,000. Yeah. Think, yeah, but they're eating craft dinner. They're they're, they're not having some vegan imported uh, <laughs> caviar. <laughs> not red deer. Vegan caviar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh boy! But I mean, we can hopefully look forward to some fireworks. It would be interesting if if, if Premier Smith uh, and uh, uh, Gilbo uh, have some, some some fireworks over there. Well, I, mean, I don't, they, I don't think expecting... she's ever been to the Middle East. I think she was saying, you know, uh, she she had she doesn't normally go to these kinds of conferences, and so she's probably going to get going to get an eye opener. Well, the sure. first thing she as she steps off the plane, it's like somebody holding a hairdryer in your face, you know. I mean, that, that's that'll be her opener. <laughs> that blast off and thing. Yeah, I had uh, contracts in Texas Mexico border in uh, July in the past. And oh. It's a special sort of heat when you yeah. get it. A, if you haven't experienced it. But again, I mean, there I imagine it's it's sort of like when I used to get my Arctic contracts too. Yeah, it's awfully cold out there, but you're getting off of the plane into your truck, into your truck, into the camp, into the camp, into your nod well. You, you're rarely uh, exposed to the elements for too long. And it's also late November. Yeah. <laughs> into your nod well. Does it, do we still have nod wells? I don't know. They did the last time I was in the Arctic, but it's been a while. Yeah, I was going to say, that's a few years ago, man. That's a, yeah, that's what we're He was still a using. Calgary boy, wasn't he? I, I, nod well? Those things, I think they were well, their foremost uh, industries that, Produces them, and I think it might be from out here initially. Yeah, I thought it was. Anyway, but yeah. again, I mean, specialized uh, adaptive tools from oil and gas to get more oil and gas, and we see them in use in Dubai as they all gather and tell us why we're supposed to stop using oil and gas. So, I'm just waiting for the uh, camel shot. The camels, yes. Camels. Oh, I've, I've just of the tourism. Well, uh, yeah, uh, Daniel Smith on camel. True. You know, this yeah. is going to be a. <laughs> Oh, this close to another starfish there. I kept that back. I didn't say anything. I'm not going to. In fact, we're pretty much at the end of the show. So before I get us in serious trouble, I think I will wrap it up. So thank you very much, Nigel and Sean and uh, everybody else for tuning in. We'll be reporting on the progress of uh, this, this conference and everything else going on in the future. Again, that reminder, get on to the Western Standard, take out a membership. It keeps us independent. That's how we can keep doing this for you. And, uh, you know, keep tuning into this show. Share those links, guys. We're going to spread the word. The government's not doing us any favors that way. So thank you for tuning in this week and uh, come back again next week at this time. We'll have a whole new set of issues to break down and chat about. Canadian Shooting Sports Association. Without the CSSA, our gun rights would have been taken long, Long ago, these guys are on the front lines uh, helping to draft smart and intelligent firearms regulations and legislation in Canada, and more importantly, educating the public about how we keep guns out of the hands of the wrong people. To become a member, it's absolutely worth every penny. You can become a Western Standard member for just $10 a month or $99 a year for unlimited access.